0: So, uh, we've been talking about Gwen and everything, and I think there's an NPC that we haven't talked about yet that I don't think we're legally allowed to have a Dark Souls podcast without talking about. Okay. And that's Solaire. All right. So, get your praise that's the right. suns we were, ready. we were
1: actually, we were on the subject of NPCs, and I wanted to talk about, uh, I wanted to talk about Sigmar, but we could talk about Solaire. Mm. Um, yeah, Solaire is, uh... <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say about Solaire because I th- I think that Solaire has a very gameplay oriented existence. Mm. I think that his sort of where he um, uh, exists in the story, he's very insignificant. He really doesn't matter that much, you know. He he's just a guy, and um, I think that there's something deep that can be said about that. But you know, if you remember back in the day, everybody used to. Um, theorized that Solaire was Gwyn's firstborn, right? Yeah, correct. Which is, um, you know, I, I think you can pretty much take that out just by the fact that Solaire is of Astora, and Astora is a noble land, and I think we learn in Dark Souls 3 that Astora was the place that the gods settled once they left Anorlondo, Um and that explains a lot of the 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 sort of lore of Astora and the, the things like the um, the I forget what's that miracle, the oath of the, the sacred oath, uh, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of the lore of that place. Andres from Astora, Solaire's from Astora, Anri's from Astora. You know, all these people are are connected in some way to the gods. Um, and all that Solaire was really was just a knight of the 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 warriors of sunlight. He was uh, he was under the Firstborn, and. Uh, all that he was was a guy that was looking for his son in a world that had no son. And what his son was was the captain of the Warriors of Sunlight. He was, he was a knight without a captain. And that was his entire story is that he was just trying to find that. And just the, 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 the slow decline that, he, that, that happened to him as a result of him being sort of a dependent in a world that begged him to, to be independent. Yeah, And um, what what was really sad about Solaire's story really isn't necessarily that, that degradation. It's just having to watch it and, and, and having to have that be a part of it and having him be a real utility in the game. I mean, people, when you fight Ornstein and Smo and you realize that you can summon Solaire for that fight and it makes it so much easier, I think that's really the moment more than anything that Solaire becomes one of the most beloved characters in that game. Because Ornstein and Smo is by far one of the most uh, uh, potent boss encounters in the entire game, and having Solaire help you out in that boss fight really, really connects you to that character, especially the encounter that you have with him in Orlando before that. Um, I think that I think that Solaire as a character, what his entire utility in the game is, is just when you're near the end of the game to set that tone, that atmosphere, because almost nobody their first time playing is actually going to end up saving Solaire and getting to fight Gwyn. Everyone is going to see him die that horrible death yeah. in, in lost Isilith by your own hand. Mm. You're going to have to put him down and that, you know, it's no maiden Australia, but it's definitely an extremely emotional, uh, uh, moment in the game that I, th- I think I might've cried when it happened. Mm. Um, because it's uh, yeah, it's such a it's such a friendly character. It's such an important character, um, as far as NPCs go in the game, uh, anyways. And so it's like, I think that's I think that Solaire as a character, his entire purpose was to sort of sell home the idea that there this is a very hopeless world. Mm-hmm. This is a world where it is not so easy to just live and 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 be. Um, and be moral and be good and 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 survive. Because he's one of the only NPCs that dies. And a lot of the other NPCs that don't die are all kind of gray yeah. or terrible. You yeah. know, like Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. One that- of the only NPCs that doesn't end up going hollow in Dark Souls 1 is Patches. Hmm.
2: Which uh oh, I Patches. think maybe there's even an, like an interesting comparison to draw that the idea that the people who are so closely linked with the light are those that are so greatly punished in this world, Mm -hmm. especially when the idea of the game being, you're trying to prevent the ushering in of an age of darkness, and yet it seems to be those who follow the light are those who are most punished.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to to be the hero of the light, you have to set yourself on fire. Yeah. For God knows how long, (laughs) you know? It's like, yeah and and so so that's Solaire. uh was there another npc you wanted to talk about you, uh, want to you talk wanted about to talk more about
0: more? uh sigmire yeah
1: yeah I, I really do want to talk by all about means Siegmeier. go for it I I, I I feel like
0: i feel like when we get to dark souls 3 there'll be a lot to talk about dark souls 2 isn't going to take long uh yeah. because we've already kind of touched on a lot of stuff with dark souls 2 so if you want to take some extra time to talk about um good old sig boy
1: then uh, by all means go for it yeah yeah it's I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to get out as, as much as I can, but mm. Siegmeyer's story is Siegmeier's story is very important and it's, I, I, it's very like, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's, it's personally important to me or if it's just something that I feel like is, is a story that needs to be told because Siegmeyer's story is the story of the devouring force of love. It's the story of the Oedipal Mother. It's the story of Hansel and Gretel and the witch. Because if I, could, if I can start by talking about Hansel and Gretel. Um, Hansel and Gretel, the original story, is a story about the... So in, in, in Dark Souls, it's a world of disparity. It's light and dark, heat and death. Light, uh, or sorry, <laughs> light and dark, uh, heat and cold, life and death um order and chaos and then there's also um a a a the the masculinity and femininity Mm. um and um you have the the femininity historically in mythology has been represented by chaos now there's good chaos and there's negative chaos and uh and the witches of eiseleth are sort of representations of both the good and the negative chaos and the good and the negative feminine Hansel and Gretel is a story about the the negative chaos, which is also a story about the negative feminine. It is a story about a maternal figure that has uh, gone too far. Um, so Hansel and Gretel, the in the original story, have a stepmother that marries into their family. they're they're the the biological children of their father. And um, what happens is the stepmother says to the father that they have to to kick the children out because they're far too poor. Um, to be able to afford them, and they'll be too much to, uh, to to financially to be able to take care of. And so, the husband begrudgingly agrees, and he sends he sends Hansel and Gretel out into the forest. And Hansel and Gretel are wandering around in the forest. And what people have have uh, been told is that they were they had breadcrumbs to make sure that they had a trail, which is wishful thinking on the part of people that read into that story and okay. want a happy ending for it, because it does have a happy ending, but it's not it's not a happy story. It's a story about children that are lost as a result of, of, a, uh, of a terrible mother. And um, they're, they're adrift in that forest. They don't know where to go. But then eventually they find the gingerbread house. And the gingerbread house is a great representation of the idea of the, the enticing, uh, uh, loving figure. It's like it's an image of, of nothing but love and, and, and niceness and sweetness. And then you meet the, the 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 witch of the house and she's this wonderful woman who who's like, oh, you poor children, I'm going to, to take you in. I'm going to take care of all of your needs. And the truth is, the witch was not originally planning to eat the children. It was actually in her compassion for the children that she was blind to the 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 responsibility necessary to taking care of the children that made her resentful of the children that made her eventually choose to eat the children. Um, which is all a meditation on the um the idea of the devouring force of love that in the story is 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 told through the children, uh, the the witch taking care of every single one of the children's needs, but that causing them to become fat and and bloated and and not uh, being able to take care of themselves and their their independence and their autonomy being stolen from them as a result of be having too much of their needs taken care of. And so the witch eventually um, makes the decision to, to, to eat them, which is a, a meditation on the fact of people who are too compassionate are devouring you. That That is the idea. And and that that is what's happening. And so Hansel and Gretel do manage to make their escape. I, I can't remember exactly what they did. I know that during, while, while Hansel was in the cage, he would stick a chicken bone out and in the blindness of the witch she would grab the chicken bone and think that the kid was not fat enough and there was something there i, I can't remember exactly what it was but anyways they, they end up um, they end up shoving the witch into the oven and which is the correct thing to do if you're in a relationship with somebody that is uh that is devouring you with with too much uh compassion literally uh, put them in an oven yeah is to is to <laughs> <laughs> is to burn the bridge Uh, essentially it's it's it it, you because you can't have somebody like that in your life because they're devouring you that's the problem is that you don't have autonomy you can't have the proper relationship with this person because you can't distance yourself right and so Mm -hmm. what you have to do is burn it and get rid of it because you're not ready for it and maybe once you're once you've learned to be independent and autonomous maybe you could go back to it but it's probably better off left in the oven um and then Hansel and Gretel end up going back to the um the the old house and uh there is actually a happy ending in that they, the the father realizes his mistake and um, and the family ends up being together again. Now the re- the way that this relates to Siegmeier is first of all, Siegmeier has fat armor, and that's very <laughs> important because the image of Siegmeier and. <laughs> I, I want. I, w- I, I, th- I thought you were just going to stop there
0: yeah, like after all that. All right, fat. so here's how this relates to him. His armor's fat.
1: Okay, so the moving Im- on. The, Im- <laughs> the image of Siegmeier is one of someone that is inept and incapable of being an adventurer in a world like this. But he wants to adventure. It's all that he wants to do. He, he believes himself to be an adventurer. And yet, in every single circumstance that he ever comes up to, He's completely inept. He can't get past the gates at Send Fortress because he doesn't even know how. He can't get past the rolling boulders. He can't get out of Blighttown without, and he can't do any of this until you help him do it. What you are doing the entire time that you're going through Siegmeier's questline and enjoying this wonderful, jolly person that is arguably the most loving char- lovable character in the entire uh, game is you're stealing his purpose away from him. You're taking away the only thing that he believes and giving him this false pretense that he is some kind of amazing adventurer that's able to go through all these places. It's like Siegmeier goes from from Send's Fortress all the way to Anne Orlando and makes it all the way down to Lost Isalith. Isn't that amazing? Well, no. Because you're the one that got him there. And that's why he ends up going hollow and and losing all purpose in his life, is because you took his purpose away from him. And this is a story that I think um it, it is probably my favorite out of all the ones that are told in the NPCs in Dark Souls because it's something that, and I don't want to get too much into this, but I, I think that that that's something that's happening in the in the real world now. I think that that's a very potent story for um, for people living in 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 the modern age. It's like there's a lot of there's a lot that's happening in that, and I won't say anything in specific, but uh, <laughs> but there I think we all we all can agree, no matter what we think that it is that. There's something about the, the world that we live in right now that seems to be pacifying people. It's like, you know, we we all grew up in the, the, the no child left behind uh, oh, yeah. experience in school. And oh, it's yeah. like, everybody's special. Everybody's unique. Everybody uh, has something to offer. And you can be anything that you want, no matter what, as long as you believe it. And it's like, no. Uh, no, you have to take on some responsibility to 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 be what you want to be by sacrificing things in your life and making compromises and not and and destroying your own potential to be anything so that you can have potential to be one thing yeah. and that's the failure of sigmeyer is is he goes into the into the world of lordran to be an adventurer and fails immediately and rather than seeing the help of the chosen undead as something that is hindering him he just Thanks them for it and goes on his merry way and doesn't pay attention to that fact. And this all culminates in the moment in Lost Izalith when he realizes, my God, I have such a debt to repay to you. I, I have to do this. I, I... He, he finally has his moment where he realizes, like, yes, like if I'm going to be an adventurer, I have to fight my own battles. I have to do my own things. I have to live my own life and be my own hero. And you take that away from him as well. And immediately, the next thing that happens is you find him hollow in Ash Lake, and his daughter had to come and kill him because he had gone insane. It's a very, very, very potent story. It's one of the deepest in the whole game, and I, I have a lot of respect for it. Um, in that, in that vein, that I, I think that it's a very, it's very time appropriate. I think that mm-hmm. that's something that people can pull away a lot of meaning from, especially if there's someone that's living now
0: (laughs) you know it's funny one of my favorite like sayings i don't i don't remember where i heard it or who came up with it or anything but uh the universe distributes talent equally Mm -hmm. but it does not distribute opportunity equally Mm -hmm. um and that kind of that's one of those things uh you mentioned earlier about you know a luck stat you know yes And i was just thinking that too and luck is so ridiculously important Uh, And (laughs) as a content creator, (laughs) (laughs) I could talk for hours and hours uh, about how luck is crucial to life. But yes, not completely, but to a degree, you make your own luck. Mm -hmm. Um, Not completely. There is there is definite pure uh, unfettered luck in the world. Sure. But to a degree, you can affect your own luck by the chances that you take and the willingness that you have to to further your life instead of just sitting there and hoping something happens to you. Doing something to make more things happen, make your luck better, so to speak, Um, as a content creator, one of those things might be reaching out to other content creators and networking and that kind of stuff. You know, you might get lucky. uh, And uh, by sheer happenstance, you could uh, find a content creator that ends up liking you and you can network with them. But instead of just sitting there and waiting for that opportunity to magically appear, you can go out and you can be proactive uh, and you can and you can do more. And I think one of the things that you were talking about is, you know, something in the world pacifies people. Um, It's. This is, of course, just like me thinking out loud, but I feel like A lot of people our age uh, tend to be more susceptible to anxiety and depression and other uh, mental disorders. And I feel like one of the reasons that that is um, actually comes from not just the way that the world is, but also from the way that we were raised. Um, Mm -hmm. We were raised by people that got what they wanted without too much effort.
1: I I see what you're trying to say.
0: And, and we also ended up raised in a time where everyone was told that they could succeed so long as they simply tried. Mm -hmm. And that's not true.
1: We were also, we were also raised in in an age where, um, addictive devices were freely handed out to all of the financially able world. And now we are all uh, sort of obsessed and dopaminergically addicted to uh, habits in life that have taken us further away from the more meaningful serotonergic uh, activities in our lives and more towards uh, distraction and and not confronting that which uh, we need to and not taking responsibility for our lives.
0: Right. And it's kind of funny how, like, thinking of Dark Souls of all things gets you into this mindset and gets you yeah. onto these topics. Yes. It's very That's what it's
1: about, man. It, it's yeah. beca- it, Because Dark Souls is about the, the – the reason why Dark Souls can get you into these really sort of meaningful subjects is because its fundamental core narrative is the fundamental core narrative of, of humanity. The struggle against suffering—it's all that we're built for. It biologically, social, sociologically, psychologically—you know—everything about what we do with our entire lives is all about how are we? What is my goal? How am I going to get there? Mm -hmm. And and that's your life. Your life is a game. It is the game of goal setting. That's why video games can create such meaningful experiences for people. Is because they. They give you that feeling in the most tangible form. Yeah. And, and what makes Dark Souls, I think, uh, an even more meaningful experience in that sense, you know, than, than something you could get from a literary experience is that you do get to be a part of the story. And so you're not just, you don't just relate yourself to other people in the way that you perceived them, the perception falls on you. Yeah, you are seeing your own actions. You are seeing what you would do in these situations, and 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 morally figuring them out. And I think that that's a that's a very that is an untapped well of potential for people to follow self development through playing video games. And you you mentioned be, you mentioned being a content creator, and this is something I definitely want to say because I'm not going to tell the story, but Dark Souls sort of saved me in a mm-hmm. way. I was in a very um, uh, meaningless and, and completely aimless part of my life when I was about 19. And I played Dark Souls, and it gave me the, the desire to move out of my house. And from that point forward, everything was different about my life. And the difference between what I was before I played Dark Souls and what I was after I played Dark Souls was I had changed into an entity that appreciated challenge. My life before Dark Souls was when I was a little kid, I used to play Guitar Hero on easy all the time because I, I was too afraid to do anything else because yeah. I was obsessed with comfort. This yeah. might be why I'm so um, uh, akin or, 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 or have an affinity for the Siegmeier uh, quest line. Perhaps mm. I may be projecting a bit by
2: mm.
1: uh, saying that it's the world and not myself. It's, it's entirely possible. But um, I, I, that was an obsession that I have was with security and comfort. Uh, I had a very rough uh, childhood for, especially for my per- personality distribution. Right. Um, so I I I did a lot of avoiding, and I did a lot of comforting myself, and 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 focusing on um, on or well, I guess not focusing on anything that I I needed to focus on. But then I played Dark Souls, and it was through the action of playing the video game, not even necessarily understanding the story, that I. I learned to to understand and appreciate the reward that I felt when I did something that was genuinely challenging, because when you're somebody, it doesn't matter how much you're suffering as the result of other people. When you're the kind of person that spends your entire life, just doing things that don't mean anything to you. And then you suddenly do something meaningful. It's like, wow, got to have more of that. And then, and so from then on, I sort of became, uh, I had the opposite obsession. It's like, Now all that I care about is things that actually are worth something and are meaningful long-term, not just short-term. And, um, and yeah, so like, uh, what you said with being a content creator, it's like, you know, my, my strategy with, with doing it, or I guess not really my strategy, but what, what inspired me to do it was I reflected on myself and I reflected on what I valued. And I I understood that what I wanted to do with my life was to create things for Mm. people. Because I was a people-oriented person that cared more than anything about spreading meaning to to, to others. And I, I felt that there was nothing else that I could do that was more meaningful than that. And I had a bit of an existential crisis at a point. that, And I was talking to a friend of mine about it back when I was about 19. And I was like, you know, I want to be an artist, but I feel like this is a world that is not um, conducive to being an artist, which it's not really, you know. creativity is a rare thing and uh it's probably better off that way because creative the job of a creative person is to go out into chaos and to bring something back that's useful and sometimes when you go out there you end up in hell so it's probably better that the world is is more order oriented but it doesn't change the fact that that's something that i am and that i have to contend with and so i i thought to myself um i don't know what i what, what i should do should i compromise this so that i could have a a financial uh st- financial stability because i know i want to have a family and it's going to be very difficult to have an artistic life at this, and and follow creative pursuits at the same time as having a family Had right. a conversation with a friend of mine about this and she said something that i'll never forget she said if you don't do what makes you happy you won't be happy and that means that your family won't be happy and so you don't get to have anything that means anything to you if you don't do what means something to you and that yeah. that set that set me right on the path and and Dark Souls was the arbiter of that journey. And of course it wasn't the only thing, you know, I've, I've, there, it's, I'm not completely uh, dark souls uh, in, in all of my experiences. There's a lot of people like Jacob that I think if, if I didn't have along that journey, then I probably wouldn't have been able to uh, to, to experience that. And thank God for all of those people, but uh, thank God for dark souls because <laughs> yeah. it was a part of that journey. And what I really want to see as a result of dark souls from the video game industry is more experiences like that an understanding that video games are a, 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 they're, they're an art, they're an artistic medium just as much as they are a tool for your own self-development. Well, which is what artistic mediums are, you know, that's what art is about. It's about, uh, uh growing as a person. It's not about distracting yourself from reality. You can't get out of reality. The one thing that you should do with your life is ally yourself with reality because, man, if you don't, you're just going to live in a fantasy world. You're going to be adrift in suffering for the rest of your life. So you might as well take the suffering that you can actually contend with rather than suffering that's just a part of your own denial system. So that's what I was having. And, and man, like you learn that through Dark Souls, not just through the gameplay, yeah. but through the narrative itself. Dark Souls is a – is, and Demon Souls – is a game about the confrontation with the fundamental truths of reality and and of human life and that's what makes it so deep and that's what makes it so enriching and man like i don't even know if another game could do it because narratively it's so important that that's part of the narrative too That's what just makes these games so incredible, man. And we could talk about that forever, but we could also move on to Dark Souls, too. Yeah. Well,
0: first, uh, a few things. Number one, uh, something I wanted to touch on uh, your thoughts about like. Being a content creator and why you want to be a content creator and your inspiration for doing so and the, the what you want to produce. Is so. Fundamentally different from me. Yeah, I, I've noticed
1: that, man. Yeah, like for me, of it's... yeah, like you've
0: yeah, most of people in chat don't know, but you've always been <clears throat> like you've always been a content creator, not necessarily like on been, the internet or anything, but you've I've, always I've always
1: been a performer. Yeah, you've always wanted
0: life. to to entertain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've always wanted to perform and to create content. Uh, And that was never anything I ever wanted to do. I was never the entertainer. I was never the content creator. I was never the performer. I was the guy behind the scenes trying to make sure nothing fell apart. That was me. Yeah. Uh, And yet somehow I ended up exactly where I didn't want to be uh, (laughs) in the proverbial spotlight. Yeah. And it what it means is that the type of content that we create is drastically different um mm-hmm. a lot of like with your stuff you know you you do stuff on youtube whereas i do stuff on twitch your stuff is typically pre-recorded uh and edited and scripted and all Very that kind of stuff yeah
1: a lot of thought yeah. and
0: mine has basically no thought into it it is it just happens and i'm there and it just goes Um uh, mm-hmm. and i think that both styles are i mean obviously both styles have their strengths and weaknesses um and i could oh my god i could spend hours mm. talking about the differences between live content and pre-recorded content mm. but i think one of the things that is so crucial for live content is being able to think on your feet and mm. being able to react quickly to anything that may or may not happen yes. um whenever you're doing like let's say you create a let's play or something and there's a, a bit where it's incredibly boring. You're not really saying anything. The game's not really doing anything. You can edit that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes a different skill set. Being able to identify what is and is not entertaining and being able oh. to uh, uh, efficiently edit that out. Yes. But it's then, hiding. yeah, exactly. But then you have like me on the other hand, where if there's a dead spot, it, it becomes my job to immediately make it less boring. On the spot without any editing
1: yeah well i w- I would actually say that um I think that silence can be a great asset in yeah. in, uh, in in any especially a conversationalist, and I would also say that part of part of the fundamental difference between our style of of creation is that I think that what what motivates me is is um, hmm. Hmm. what's the best way to put that i because I, I think maybe it's not necessarily a difference in motivation as much as as it is just a, a difference in perhaps personality distribution yeah, i think i would say because i think that i think that i am a very it's not that you're not people oriented oh, i'm not I don't think i'm you, not i'm a basket
0: I, case i I, I, <laughs> I know
1: i i know that you're you're more introverted than you are extroverted but very... i don't think that you're necessarily not people oriented uh, i think I... You know that quiz you take that gives you the four letters? Yeah,
0: yeah. Myers so Briggs. Uh, yeah, I'm ninety ten introverted. Okay, so am yeah, so, very that, introverted. So
1: that makes sense. But the relationship between introversion and extroversion is one of not necessarily which one you prefer, mm-hmm. but the degree to which you can um, uh, 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 you are invigorated by social interaction. Yeah, um, and and I would say it's not so much that you don't. That you're not a people-oriented person it's just that you're not necessarily somebody who is who is seeking out the um the the actual interactions with people however i think that you are somebody that cares about people yeah and i think that you that makes you agreeable and it, it doesn't make you extroverted it makes you an agreeable person and um and and agreeable in the i think i think that you and me are extreme are extremely alike in that you're we're both very compassionate people, but not very polite people. We don't have much. <laughs> we don't have much respect for the the order of things, yeah. and we because we've grown up in an environment that is extremely um, uh, uh, stale and oppressive and rigid, yeah. and yeah. and it sucks. Yeah. And so we understand the importance of being able to tear down a structure like that, especially yeah. socially, yeah. and so being able to say something. You know that might be considered offensive to to each other and maybe just laugh about it or to take it seriously you know and and to not to not just be like well, we can't go there and that's that's we're sort of impolite in that way, but we're very compassionate in that we know how what it how it feels to feel alone and to feel like no one cares and to feel like um you that that there is nothing in life for you to have and in in that vein it's like that's why you. I think that's one of the reasons why you stream is because you know that there are people out there that are like you and maybe everybody could use a friend and maybe you're that friend.
0: That's I'd say that's about 50% of it. The other 50% is, um, one of the things I enjoy most is simply making people smile, Mm -hmm. uh, because there is so much wrong with everything all Mm -hmm. the fucking time that Mm -hmm. if I can, even for a moment,
1: make someone's mood better i've succeeded that's and that that actually is a through line in both of our personalities we're, we're exactly the same in that way because to and me that's all that i every smile that i had when i was a kid saved me from the from the brink that's yeah. for sure
0: yeah and you, you <laughs> never know you never ever know the impact you will have on somebody it could be mm-hmm. the most minuscule thing it could be a passing conversation that lasts 10 seconds you never know the impact you will have on somebody so why not
1: Make it a positive impact. You don't have to be important to be important, exactly.
0: To throw a
2: lasso around all of that, reel it back in (laughs) to Dark Souls, right? Every single thing that you have just spoken about and that thing is something that can be found and can be expressed in not only the way that you play, but the way you interact with the world and the way that and the things that you take from the game. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And, and although, of course, that's that's a huge tangent, it's amazing to me that that entire conversation can be you can pick parts from every single aspect of that conversation that both of you just had and you can relate it to an experience and you can relate it to something um a character a moment a yeah. conversation a boss fight uh something in dark souls that you can find to relate and offer yourself that opportunity to think on the, the decisions you made, the decision that the game made, and the response that you got for the actions you took. And it's something that's incredibly important and can be um, something that is very powerful and moving to a person who is playing the game and going through these moments of self-reflection. And it can be very powerful, um, <coughs> both learning from a narrative and for learning in yourself as well. And it's something that the, the game and the series as a whole um, proves and kind of brings its worth forward and presenting on a deeper level for players.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, that that, and the reason why all that is is because what the inspiration for Dark Souls was that that no other game was like, and Demon Souls, um, that no other game, even that Miyazaki has made, was like, is it was the in, the inspiration of the Western European uh, literature that he read growing up, and mm-hmm. all of that literature was concerned with. The meanings of life and and so it's it's to talk about what dark souls is about is an impossible task if you're going to leave out it's more metaphysical and psychological uh, significance which is something that i can't say the same thing for say bloodborne or sakiro because you you when it comes to bloodborne bloodborne is based off of lovecraftian um horror which while very psychological isn't necessarily as metaphysically useful as some of the more ancient uh uh, literature it's a more rationalistic it plays on the fear of 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 not understanding and when you're doing that you're sort of playing with something that's not human and and you you sort of remove the meaning from 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 the 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 story and and with sekiro it's it's like sekiro is very much as it's a story about characters and events and it has a lot of uh spiritual significance in in Its use of ancient uh, Japanese um, uh, uh, mythological uh, figures, but the story itself isn't necessarily a Japanese mythology. Dark Souls is a European mythology written Mm -hmm. by a Japanese man. And (laughs) that is what makes it so deep and so enriching. That's interesting. Uh, So, yeah, of
0: course, to get back on track with Dark Souls, there are a couple things I wanted to touch on before we moved on. One of those is atmosphere. Uh, We basically talked about atmosphere.
2: Yeah, but there's one leak. thing.
0: There's one thing we haven't talked about that this mm-hmm. will surprise none of you in chat that I want to talk about for just a moment.
1: Yes, music,
0: music. So
1: oh. and oh, I'm so glad we got here. <laughs> so
0: here's the thing about the music in Dark Souls. And this is just me. This is a quick and dirty summary because I know we. We've, <laughs> we've been on Dark Souls for a while now. Yeah, we, yeah, quick and dirty for me is the game doesn't have music except Mm -hmm. when it really needs to. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is one of the only games I've played that lacks music outside of boss fights for the most part. And yet it lends itself to the atmosphere in a positive way. Uh, Now, Mm -hmm. when you're near Firelink Shrine, you can hear a little bit subtle, but it's there. Most of the other places in the game, there's not really much going on music wise. Then you hit a boss and suddenly wham music, which makes sense because a
1: boss is a big ordeal. Yes.
0: And um, uh yeah. I, I, I definitely
1: have something to say about that. Please do. How big is your music playlist, Jacob? <laughs> uh
0: well that depends on uh on what the purpose of it is, if it's for something streaming related. Uh three, four hours. Uh my personal playlist is about
1: mm, say about four thousand songs. Okay. So let me ask you something. Sure. When you're listening to that music, mm-hmm how to what extent let's say on a level of 1 to 10 to what extent are you experiencing that music fully emotionally and immersively
0: like how much of the time
1: or um, or like when you when you go to listen to your music mm-hmm. generally speaking when you're listening to any song how deeply are you experiencing it
0: that's a very difficult question because it depends on my mood as to how focused i am on the music sometimes i'm doing something else and the music's just in the background Correct.
1: uh so yeah so it's a really difficult that question is exactly to answer exactly the answer that i was looking <laughs> yeah. for and so this is a point that i want to make about dark souls music is that <laughs> when you when you're when you're the type of person like us that listens to a lot of music and mm-hmm. i i i have thousands of songs too man and it's Sometimes when you want to listen to music, it's like you just have so much music, you don't know what to pick. So you just put the music on. And, but then it's, then it's just <laughs> kind of like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of sort of adrift in the sea of music. I yeah. guess I'll just do something else. But by doing that, you sort of take away the, the, the impact of the music itself. Um, there have been times where I've decided I just really want to listen to music. And it doesn't matter what I'm listening to or what mood that I'm in. Just the fact that I decided that there's a specific song I want to listen to. And I want to, I want to feel what this song is right now. And it's not because I'm in any particular mood. It's just I like this song. I'm going to listen to it, and I'm going to experience it fully. Mm. And it takes you somewhere, man. Yeah. It's it's a it's a completely different experience because of how you chose to experience it. Yeah. And the what makes Dark Souls music as potent as it is is, I think, not even because it's good music, because. I, I think that some of the a lot of the tracks in Dark Souls actually are kind of, if not uh just sort of decent, then maybe possibly a bit lackluster. Yeah. Um there's a lot of tracks in Dark Souls that are very forgettable to me. Yeah. Um and a few that are just particularly amazing to me. But Quinn. When I when I was experiencing yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that for sure. <laughs> but but when I was experiencing um uh the game, you know, the music it, it was all extremely meaningful to me and it, the reason why it was so meaningful is because it was accentuated by the fact that i was experiencing a climax in the story and was had i been going through an area and and, and constantly been hearing music the entire time it's like it's almost like the game would be constantly telling you what you should be feeling because yeah. that's what music does music tells you what you're supposed to feel yeah. and then you sort of you sort of agree that, yeah. That's what makes music good is what it, it tells you how to feel. And you say, yes, that is exactly how I feel listening to this. You're right. Um, and so with Dark Souls, it's like. It helps to accentuate that feeling of player agency, because you don't feel like you're being told how you should feel about the entire area, but the bosses are different because they're extremely significant. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a tone set for that. Yep. And maybe not necessarily even a tone, but there needs to be something to accentuate the seriousness of the situation, yep. and using music to do that was a really good idea. Yep, agree. It's, it's beautiful.
2: This, this is something that I really, I, th- I find really interesting, and hearing both of you talk about the way that you listen to music is very interesting because it has an, a huge effect, I think, on how music plays a role not only in the in the game but as for a person as well. Because for me as a person, I'm the kind of person who, when I'm doing work or if I'm doing anything. I don't listen. I don't listen to music unless I'm listening to music. If I mm-hmm. if I am going to listen to music, I sit and I listen to music and that's what I do. I don't, I'm not a fan. I, I've just never been that kind of person who has music in the background. Mm. Uh, I've never been able to focus on things. I always focus on the music when I do that. It's part of the reasons why I don't have podcasts and stuff in the background if I'm doing something, or I don't have background things, because I like to focus. Yeah. And I think it makes it all the more prevalent when like so music tells a story and i think music is a, an incredibly powerful medium as well and i think the the music can be so complex and i'm not going to go on a side rant i'm going to stop myself but the idea of like i i think music is, as an industry is dying and it's incredibly uh-huh. depressing to see but music as an art form is is gen, genuinely one of the most powerful um storytelling um um mechanics that you can use and i think dark souls and and taking that music and moving it to only the points that are the most prevalent and the points that are most um, where your senses are the most heightened, when your experience is the most, when you're the most alert, when it's the most important to the story of what is happening and the things that you need to pay attention to. It doesn't matter if you're fighting a boss and focus on fighting the boss. The music's there. The music tells you the story of of, of the boss. It tells you where you are it tells you who you're fighting and it gives so much more context to the battle that you're fighting um, mm. it's one thing to be on the journey but when you reach a destination and um, the significance of that destination and the power that that music gives it, it even if it is in its own isolation a uh, a lackluster track, in the context of what you're doing, um, it grants this power, um, not only to the actions you take and the significance of what you do, um, but it also tells the story of the ball. And a Mm -hmm. big part of it is… And one thing that I think lends itself well to the idea of you going at a boss and at a boss and dying and going at it again and again is each time you're fighting that boss, you might get a little further and you might have a little bit more experience with that music and you're learning as you go. Not only are you learning how to fight this boss, but you're learning what he what this boss does. You're learning from the music exactly when there's swells, when there's dips, when there's... You're learning as you go and by the time you beat the boss and the music crescendos and it ends... And that's it. You've defeated that boss. You have overcome. You have done that step of your journey. And I think, at least for me, there's there's something of an emptiness to the finishing of a boss and having there just be silence. Yeah. That's it. Like I, I
1: would, uh, yeah, I think it's a very meaningful emptiness too. It's very, yeah. Like, and like, it's over. It, the moment's over. Yeah. It's it time to speaks go on. It's
2: volumes. Yeah. And, it, and it lends itself so powerfully to the journey that you're on and the 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 steps you're taking and the the souls that you're taking and there's like this moment of you you have no choice but to be faced with whether that be something you consider good something you consider bad something no it forces you to take a look at the actions you've just taken and everything you've just experienced because when you're fighting a boss it's intense and you're going for it and your your senses are heightened and the adrenaline's pumping and you finally beat that boss and there's that moment of of celebration and then there's the silence and then you have to consider everything you've just done and you look at all the actions you've taken you look at the boss you've just fought you look at the music you've just heard and you're left with nothing but reflection and i think that's something that dark souls does fantastically um is it Every step of the journey that you take, you're reflecting on the things that you've done, and you're looking yeah. at the effect that you have had on the area you're in, and the the things and people and creatures around you. And I think the music lends itself very well to that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I completely agree. yeah Yeah. That was yes. uh, so. So I think before we talk about um, before we even start with with Gwyn's theme. I think it would. I think one of the uh, the more potent uh, songs in the game that we could definitely talk about very very briefly is Ornstein and Smo. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that song is one of the best things I've ever heard in a video game. I mm-hmm. think until I, until Bloodborne, that was my favorite song in a video game because it so perfectly encapsulates the personalities of Ornstein and mm-hmm. Smo in the song while also being a great song that lends a lot of progression to the fight with its multiple phases. Yeah, I love the fa- I love the dichotomy between the proud horn melody and the timpani in the background. Yeah. You have that, 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 the pride, the proudness of Ornstein, the first, the captain of Gwyn's Knights, the dragon slayer that could split a boulder. And then the, the, the sort of, uh, the only word that's coming to my mind is dumpy. I don't know. I can't, I can't think of more of anything else. The lumbering the... Yeah, yeah, the the, yeah. Lum- the lumbering sort of uh, 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 uh god, I can't think of the the right word for it, but it's like smo in his 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 disgusting vileness, his immorality, his his it's, the it's... fact that no one wants him to be around, man. It's like it's like <laughs> you have you have and the fact that he's this giant lumbering glutton of a of a beast is, it, and you have that that loud timpani playing in the background with the the bass strings going on it's like it's, it's and
2: uh, i think and and it shows that fantastic contrast as well of of yeah. the like both are incredibly and raw and powerful but for totally different reasons exactly yeah. um, yeah. one it, it, it's just raw beast like like horrendous power and one is is a more you for lack of a better term a more skilled and earned a more regal um form of power um and 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 that reflects in the boss fight as well the way that they both fight you and the way that um and i think um i think it's interesting as well with the way that the fight goes um ending up with you well, you, you can be fighting small alone, and that cutscene of the smash. And I think there's something about the for um, that you could even take as a comment on the the idea of it of the 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 raw, just overbearing beast like power and the uncontrollability and unpredictability of what something beast like and horrendous like that can do. Yeah. Um, um, especially, and it doesn't, and it does kind of for, fall into that idea again of of order and chaos, and the mm. idea that the the chaos and the beast and the and the the uncontrollable nature of of one type of power completely overwhelming the other. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it, it it's amazing how the music and even the fight themselves play even further into the themes of the game, just to drive home exactly what you're
1: going through. Dark Souls is definitely a game about dichotomy because yeah. the, the fucking creation myth was um, in the beginning there was there was nothing and then there was fire and with fire came disparity. Yeah. And that everything that start all the events of the game, they're all about dichotomies between two uh, 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 powers. And I think it's very, very well realized in the Ornstein and Smo boss fight for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, before we go on to Gwyn's theme, um, and we've kind of actually already hit on this with several of the bosses, but just to like, kind of get an overarching, very short thing is the boss design of Dark Souls one, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, and how it's, how it's done, how it's important. Uh, again, we've kind of touched on this, especially with, with the Ornstein Smo fight, um, and such, but if there's anything that you guys want to add about the, uh, the, the design of the bosses, Ooh. um, then now is your chance to do so. Fuck yeah, mm. spider titties. Yes. Okay, but like, but like, real talk though. Okay, spider titties as a boss, she's great, cool, whatever. But her sister is where it's at.
1: <laughs> just saying. Oh come on, guys. We were just talking about the meaning of life. Yeah. And- well, b- boobies. <laughs> duh. Come on,
2: man. It's, but it, but it is interesting. I think um, one thing I think that Dark Souls one does very well, especially compared to the the designs of bosses in uh, other games. <coughs> Dark Souls three. Um, I think that Dark Souls one lends itself very well. Again, it's all about telling the story of these. Well, that's the thing to us; they're horrific creatures. Um, mm. But the truth of the matter is, they're all beings. Um, with their own stories and their own tales and their own motivations and goals, and I think that the the idea, and I think I think a, a very good, um, uh, God, there's there's so many good ones in Dark Souls to, to choose from. To be honest, yeah. I feel like pretty much all the bosses do a fantastic idea of representing um what they are and part of their story and and their goals through their boss fights. And I mean, Orstein's is obviously a a fantastic example of that um in general, and well, pick a boss in dark Souls and, <laughs> yeah, I, like yeah, I and
0: don't...
2: you you'll find those those kind of themes um through through there um another one that I think is is a good example um is like even like the gargoyles, the idea of them being the protectors of or guarding that bell and um, you also
1: have an amazing theme,
2: yeah. Also do yeah, have that's, a, that's another one of the best amazing. songs in that game and um even like the gaping dragon <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> which can which by the way horrifying uh, but yeah. I think I think another fantastic one um especially once you start to learn more of the story is sif.
1: Oh God! Yes, Sif, we can have our own podcast oh on God. Sif.
2: <laughs> Sif is such a fantastic.
1: Oh yeah, okay. We would be very remiss to, yeah. to end any discussion on Dark Souls before we talk about fucking Sif. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh my God, Sif is Sif is one of the most effective. I, I you know what? I'll say this. I think Sif is definitely on the level of Maiden Estrella from Demon Souls, mm. because especially because of the DLC. Like if if you if if the DLC had not existed. I don't think Sif would have been quite as emotional. It would have been just very sad to kill a dog. Mm-hmm. But, oh my god, once you, once oh. you, when you save him in yeah. the Abyss, and yeah. then you go back, and then you playing the game over again, and then you, he knows who you are, but he's so dedicated to his, his, his lifelong uh, dedication to his dead master that he decides to end your life, anyways, and then you have to put him down. It's like this is it's, two heroes killing each other. Yeah,
2: and it's so it's such a powerful boss fight, and it's 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 a wonder. It's a good example of there are obviously with it being a Sifajrable, well, there are no words spoken, but there doesn't need to be words spoken. Everything is language said in that moment, and everything yeah. is said, and how that fight is delivered, yeah. and it's. I think it's probably my favorite boss fight in the game.
1: That I, think, I, would, I, would, think, I would I think that's Sif fair. is my favorite
2: boss in the game. Yep, that's um, completely fair. Uh it's it's so I mean it's especially when you get the added contact, like you like you've saved you saved Seth. That like, there's nowhere way around it. You save Seth. <laughs> you have yeah. saved this this creature's life. And the and yeah, especially yeah, once so. you start getting more of the backstory and you learn more about him. And the dedication that he has had to his master and the the just the emotion that goes into that fight when you clash and you see and Sif comes down and that that cutscene of the face-off that you have. And there there is almost there's almost a moment you can see the trepidation when yeah. Sif first draws the sword. There's a moment where you're not entirely sure where the outcome will go i mean as a player on a more meta level you of course know what's about to happen but in an in-universe kind of moment you're it's unclear exactly what could happen in that moment especially when you have the additional context of you having saved sif and for him to turn the blade on you to begin the the uh the conflict is there's just like that such a, a sad moment of realizing before it's even happened what has to happen now um, and the idea of what has to come and the 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 difficulty you're going to have doing something you don't want to have to do
1: yep. the sorrow that you see in sif when he realizes who you are and that he has mm. to kill you anyways is extremely powerful that 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 I think that boss fight really helps to um to further deepen the feeling of hopelessness in in that world because it's mm. just. This is a this is a loyal dog. There is nothing that human beings find more disgraceful <laughs> than hurting a loyal dog, mm-hmm. and you have to fucking kill it. <laughs> yep.
0: You know, and now I have to <clears throat> have to do something terrible to you. We talked yeah. about how good of a boss fight that was. Yes. So now we got to talk about the bed of chaos.
1: Oh, I knew and we the were entirety of
0: uh, Lost Isleth. And how it's a section of the game that was only half finished.
2: So Dark Souls (laughs) 2.
1: So this is where we should probably talk about the flawed flawed part of the flawed masterpiece tagline that is often given to Dark Souls, which is that Dark Souls was a game that was rushed. It was a a game that was rushed because it had to meet a deadline. um, And that... uh, See the 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 sleeper success of Demon Souls only barely got Dark Souls to uh, to to happen, and so it was not like Dark Souls was some spiritual successor that was uh, fully funded and 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 um, and brought on as like uh, as like knowing that it was going to be such a huge success. It was sort of like a second Demon Souls, where they were like, "Well, that one worked pretty well, so here's another one." Mm-hmm. And, um, and the very tight deadline that they were under because of their publishing company, um, resulted in them, uh, not being able to make the game that they really wanted to in the end. And, uh, Lost Izalith is Miyazaki has said himself is one of the most neglected areas in the game's design. Um, particularly, I think not even Bed of Chaos is, is, uh, the worst, uh, offender, but just the sea of dragon Athens amidst the lava of Lost Izalith. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that are copy-pasted from the ass of the undead dragon, <laughs> is and just renamed Leaping Demons and given a stupid jumping attack and, and made one of the most boring and frustrating enemies to fight in the game, it speaks a lot about Lost Izalith. I would also yeah. like to to say that one of my favorite uh, things about Lost Izalith that I was actually very excited to, to go check out when I played the remaster was if you go to in the original prepare to die edition if you go to the fog gate of uh, the bed of chaos and you peer over the side of the rails you can see the white void of nothing because oh. they didn't put any kind of texture there and uh, in dark souls remastered they fixed that but <laughs> you know what they didn't fix if you go into new londo even today in the in dark souls remastered and you go to the um about where the pot is that you break open to get the first two transient curses look back up at the elevator and you will see the white void of nothingness. (laughs) (laughs) I am watching you people and I know that you're not finishing your fucking levels.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's the rough thing. But anyways,
1: Lost Izalith. The bed of chaos. It was unfinished because it was rushed. Mm. We can can accept that and move on. But the bed of chaos we need to talk about. Because the bed of chaos could have been one of the coolest bosses in Dark Souls. Yep. Like like I said, it was it was a gimmick boss. It was a boss that was designed around the fact that you're not going to be fighting it the way that you fight other bosses. Mm. And not in the way like the fucking Capper demon where they just copy pasted a couple of dogs in the arena. <laughs> in a way that was like an old Demon Souls boss, in a way that felt like you weren't just fighting, it was like the Dragon God in Demon Souls. It was yeah. like you couldn't fight this thing. You had to do something weird to fight it. Unfortunately, I think the thing that really killed the bed of chaos is just the fact that the fight was about platforming, yeah. really. Yeah, And and I, I, I don't think that people would think of it that way because more of it, they just think of like it's the bullshit boss where they get slapped into a hole. Yeah. But the very end where you have to jump into the hole is just like the whole fight Okay, I gotta start somewhere. I can't just be scatterbrained. So you start the fight out by going down a big tunnel and sliding like it's a fucking snowboarding game, which is, is funny. <laughs> and then, you know, you're looking at this thing, and you're like, how am I supposed to kill this thing? Eventually you figure out the the red orbs are there because they're the only thing that's bright, so it's the only thing you're, you're attracted towards. So you go, and you break open the branches, and then you, you hit it, and then you get the cutscene, and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to destroy these testicles. <laughs> and it's like, okay. but And then you start walking back, and you fall in a hole, and you die. And there was nothing that was telling you that you were about to fall in a hole and die. You just fall in a hole and die. And so then you're like, okay, so I guess there's holes. That's kind of stupid. And then you go back down, and you're like, oh, hey, my souls are over there. <laughs> 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 and, so, and so you're like, okay, well, I'll just... I'll just shield or roll through it, I guess. And then inevitably you either try to roll through it and then you get pushed because the physical object of the hand is, is, you're not, you can't roll through unless you're at the edge of it. And so you get pushed into the pit and lose all your souls and humanities and die, or you become a shield person. And as you're going through, uh, you get pushed into the hole by the hand and you die because it's too much stagger. So um and then that so that happens and then so you're already pretty frustrated by it then you try to go get the other testicle and it's it's terrible because it's the same experience of trying to go get your souls um you might uh find out from videos that people have done that you can just stand in a corner and fire arrows at like the other testicle and it'll it'll go out and that's fine and good but uh sucks and then you have to go through the final experience which is Jumping down into the middle of the bed of chaos and getting down through the tunnel, which is a really stupid experience because aiming is a bitch, especially if you don't uh if you're if you're not too familiar with the platforming in Dark Souls, which sucks. Um uh getting up can be a bitch because the front tentacles of the bed of chaos can actually push you out of the way. Um, and then getting through the tunnel can be a bitch, especially if you're not a fast roller. Because if you're not a fast roller, the Bed of Chaos can cast Firestorm on your ass and kill you while you're going through the tunnel, to yep. which, which, which you then have to platform through it again. And it's just a complete mess of frustration, and none of the deaths feel particularly fair because they're they're based on the platforming, which sucks, and not the combat, which is good. And that's, that's my dissertation on why the Bed of Chaos didn't work. They focus too much on the fact that... Uh, they focus too much on making it a game... Or a boss fight where you fall into holes rather than a boss hmm. fight that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, yeah. not to, like, dwell on it for a bunch of time, but, you know, it, it's, yeah. it sucks. And, yeah. Uh, yep. But Gwen. I time, time for Gwen. Yeah, time for Gwen. First of all, the music for Gwen is incredible. But before we get to that, I do want to say that Gwen is a boss I have a love-hate relationship with. Mm -hmm. as a A lot of people do as a final boss mechanically he's disappointing Mm -hmm. but he's disappointing by design yes yeah uh and it's so that every build is viable what we talked about earlier about how every build is viable is a good thing Mm -hmm. it also means that they have to create a game in which all the bosses can be killed by all builds otherwise it doesn't make all builds feel viable anymore. And exactly. a a final boss should feel like this epic momentous occasion, but in order to make it viable for all builds, it's disappointing. And yeah. that's unfortunate, but it has amazing music to make up for it.
1: It's, it's an amazing moment to make up for it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's very, the, the encounter with Gwyn is very demon souls because it's not really based on the, uh, the fight that you're actually having. It's based on the moment that you're, you're yeah. spending with this character. And, um, I would, I would, uh, one of the first things that I would, that I would say about the, the Gwyn fight that is just an interesting fact is, um, as you might remember, the church that followed Gwyn was the way of white. Gwyn is the Lord of sunlight and he is associated with white. Well, Gwyn's theme is played entirely on white keys. Mm. It's, in, it's in C. It's, it, yeah. it's, completely there's no black keys in it it's it's so that's one little piece of of the the genius of that Uh, that fight yeah
2: which which i'd like to say another reason that i love music as a storytelling medium is the fact that there's so many things like that that can go unnoticed or em or under the radar of so many people is that there's so many physical and metaphorical components that go into music that aren't considered other than how it makes you feel um, and i think it's it's a big part of music that oft gets overlooked and is um a little sad that it does but for those who appreciate it um it, it adds this entire other level of understanding when you can take things like that and you can understand the the con the, the context it adds and the all white keys and the light representation is a fantastic and I'm not gonna go ranting about it because I could rant about it for hours. But a fantastic piece of uh, a, a example of that is there's a very famous piece of music called the Dies um, which is a mm-hmm. piece of music which represents death. Um, and I recommend that anyone who has any kind of interest in music at all look look up videos on this shit. It's it's fantastic. It's it's fantastic the stuff that that has been done with it. Um, and it's it's the the idea of the, the structure of music. Not only the structure of music, the form of music, the way that that music is played, the, the physical components that go into that music. There's so many different angles of which music can be looked at, which greatly affect the appreciation you have not only for the music, but the music and which it accompanies as well. Um, that adds this extra dynamic layer to things like the and boss fight that you would never get before unless you were actually to look into it.
1: And to relate that back to the, the theme itself and its, mm-hmm. its own structure, the way that Gwyn's theme is structured is to sound the way that Gwyn's story uh, mm-hmm. uh, is told. Gwyn's story is a story of a man who attempted to create, basically, I guess you could say the greatest thing that ever happened in, in the history of time. Uh, but all that ended up happening is that in trying to keep that going, it just fizzled out. And, and became nothing. And when you're listening to Gwyn's theme, that's what's happening in the song. It's a song that continuously feels like it's trying to build up to something and then just dying. It, it, you, in, it, if you listen to that, again, with that in mind, you'll, you'll understand exactly what I mean. Because you have the, you have like, I mean, you can hear it right away. You have the, the strong melody of the, the, the da-da-da, la-da-da-da-da, but then just silence. And then repeated da over and over. And, and I think, I think one of my favorite parts of the song is the, the, the breakdown where it starts to play the discordant, discordant lower notes. The, the dun, 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 dun. It's, it's, it really, I feel communicates really, really well. Gwyn's, um, decision uh, the 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 realization that he had after his his war with the demons and, and him realizing that he needed to link the fire um i think it reflects that decision it reflects everything that he did leading up to that decision it reflects the way that he felt in that decision that cold lonely realization that this is the only thing left for him to do and the sacrifice that he needs to make and the 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 crescendo into the the into the actual making of that decision of taking the black knights there and going to the first flame and preparing to set himself alight and leaving everything behind—it's—it's—it's it's, it's oh, hey. beautiful.
2: A powerful cyclic, cyclical, repetitive melody with the undertones uh, accentuating the other aspects of its story. It's almost like there was a cycle being perpetuated there. Mm.
1: And that cycle is 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 very felt throughout every single movement in the piece. No matter what what part you're looking at. oh and especially the end where literally the song does fizzle out. The da 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 Over and over. it's beautiful. Oh yeah. But so we can talk about the music, but should probably also talk about the fight itself mm. um probably by far the most powerful moment in, in all of souls for mm. for, for sure and I, I one of the reasons is what i already talked about it, is that knowing that this confrontation between you and gwyn while it's supposed to be an epic battle between two giants that that is to um resolve the question of what is going to happen to the world now it's just bleak and sad because not only, not only is the fight itself not epic in that Gwyn is such a, a husk that it feels completely disappointing to be fighting this, this, this wet dog of a, of a whatever kind of being that he is. But it's also narratively depressing because you realize like the only choices that I have are to continue this bastard of a cycle or to just let everything die that's what this fight is for it's it's not to save the world it's to just go on i guess it's so it's so disheartening and every time that i hear that song it just it that that's the the feeling that it evokes in me is this feeling of lonely reservation with the 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 most objectively nihilistic idea i could possibly imagine yeah it's it's so powerful and what a way to end the game right Mm. yeah and it 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 ends the game it ends the the narrative and the story and dark souls could have not had another game and it would have been fine Mm -hmm. i think i'm glad that it did have three but (laughs) (laughs) but, you know it's it's it could have ended there and it would have been fine as, as a story of just of the bleakness of, of reality, of objective, rational reality. Yep. You know, it's, it's a terrible thing we have to deal with, us humans. The objective reality is quite a, a, a terrible one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and, and Gwyn himself is is one of the most capable people that could have ever done anything about it. And even he failed. And so and that's true about about your life. And that's the world that you then you inhabit and that you inherit and you have to do something about that, man. And it Dark Souls doesn't tell you, like and that's what's beautiful about it. It does not tell you what to do. It lets you choose. And that is the actual answer is for you to choose a meaning.
0: Pretty deep. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I think yeah. the time has finally come to
0: give ourselves uh the ratings. <laughs> I, I feel uh, like Essential. <laughs> essential. Going
1: to be a, a little obvious. Yeah,
0: essential. Little, uh,
1: little. I have to. I don't know, man. I feel like uh, I feel like it's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Don't even bother, man. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah man. I, I, if you if you can appreciate a video game, you have to play Dark Souls. If you yeah. appreciate life, you should probably play Dark Souls. <laughs> it's like, if you don't appreciate life, you should probably play Dark Souls. <laughs> you play Dark Souls, man. <laughs> it's just too. It's it's like I don't know. It's like the fucking Bible. I don't, I don't know. It's like it's like I don't. I, if you if you experience it, it's probably gonna be worse. Something. It's to a, lot, you. More, I don't a know. lot
2: more fun than the Bible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. But
0: just as much
1: death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just as much God's fucking people. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Dark Souls is a. Uh, Dark Souls is a video game experience that is, um, it's not just a video game experience. It's, it's an aesthetic experience that mm-hmm. any human being who can understand its source material, uh, can derive a world of meaning from. And, mm-hmm. and in many different ways, you can play it as a, as a dumb game to, to run through with a big stick, or you can play it as, as what I played it, which is, uh, a spiritual experience that changed my life. So, yeah. Um, go for it, man.
2: Yeah. I think I think everyone here is probably in agreement,
0: I would
1: imagine, yeah, with yep.
2: it being required.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh so now so we I have to go. talk about Dark Souls 2. I would uh, love Dark to talk 2. about Dark Souls 2. Uh, I will say we've already
1: been going for four hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. three
2: hours and 55 minutes.
0: And <laughs> 20, but
1: that's okay and because 29 you know what? Seconds. We've we've gone through a lot of the fundamentals of what yeah. Dark Souls yep. hasn't experienced. So really all there is to talk about now is what happens in Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3. And namely, and I why think... is it not liked so much? Because that's the important one. Dark Souls 2 is not liked as much as the other Souls games, because it does not do what the other Souls games did. Um, that was special. It tried very, very hard to replicate an experience that it didn't understand. And now that being that the, said, would you say that the reason that it was not understood is because it was made by the B team? I would say that as much as uh, as much as I think that the FromSoft B team is a is a funny meme, I would say that it was not necessarily the fact that FromSoft's B team was on it because the B team is a is a theory that came out of the fact that Miyazaki was working on Bloodborne with a lot of people that were more dedicated to Miyazaki's vision while Dark Souls 2 was being developed by two of uh, veteran um, uh, uh, FromSoft developers under a, a different team that was not as, as dedicated, obviously. Um, and I would not attribute Dark Souls 2's lack of quality to the team that worked on it. I would attribute Dark Souls 2's lack of, of quality in the areas where it is lacking quality to the, the way that the team was structured. Here's Dark Souls 2's main problem. It had two directors. That game was destined to to fail. It it did not have its original developer as its main director. It had him as a consultant. And it had two people whose visions were conflicting, both trying to do the same thing at the same time. And they also decided in this this very stupid, ambitious uh, idea... That not only are we going to have two directors trying to make the same game and direct all of the decisions, we're also going to have a new engine created for it that is going to be the most graphically impressive engine that has ever been seen in video games, which inevitably, all that ended up in in, in creating was a video game that could not be run on any current systems, period. Hmm. And. Eventually, that that led to the graphical downgrade that we eventually got, because they could not make a playable game out of the graphics that that, that they got, which made Dark Souls 2 end up being one of the most graphically uh, laughable games in the series. Not that repeated textures weren't something that existed in Dark Souls 1, but man, there sure are a lot of repeating textures in Dark Souls 2. (laughs) Like, for example, the final area of the friggin' game, when you're going down that that, that rock path, it's like... You're walking into basically the kiln of the first flame. Remember the kiln of the first flame? That was the most amazing visual I've ever seen in my life. The, 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 the melted structure that was melting in the direction of the flame bursting. The, the yellow skybox. The giant ring that was around it. The field of ash. The, the the dilapidated structures underneath the kiln. Once you get into the kiln. the The, the, the circling around the flame. Amazing. Meanwhile, you walk into the last area of Dark Souls 2, and it's like here's a big wall of like a 64 by 64 repeated text. <laughs> that, that, that's obviously an exaggeration, but it's like it's just a big stupid dumb wall. And that's <laughs> all we got. And then you walk in, and it's like a it's like a semicircle with a bunch of golems next to it. It's like
2: ugh. also also Dinantello are trash
1: snugly for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like how Snuggly gives you uh, consistent rewards rather than random rewards. Yeah. Thank you very much. Fuck that. Jesus. We're on the hate train, but we
0: can't Bin <laughs> well, flip the fucking there. table. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but okay, like listen, I-, I really want to establish because we've 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 done nothing but shit on it so far. Yeah. I want to establish. I think the Dark Souls 2 is a good game. I and I think that it is actually amazing that that game even exists because once you understand the development hell that it went through, mm. it's what it's even more impressive than Demon Souls in some ways because it's like th- it had no fairy tale developer to save it. It just had like Miyazaki came in and was like, "All right, clearly having two directors is bad. Maybe you can salvage this." And he did. I mean, you—I can't remember exactly what his name is. First name's you. He definitely uh, salvaged the game, and he made it something that was good. It, it, it's, it's a good video game, and at the time of, of its release, it was the Souls game that had by far the best gameplay mechanically. Mm. Um, that's, I, I, I never had any interest in making PvP builds, but I did in Dark Souls 2, because the PvP was really solid in Dark Souls 2, especially because they did something that I can't believe Miyazaki never decided to do. He made, they made backstabs, something that don't happen immediately, so you can actually roll away from them. So they're not just like you circling around each other. And then one guy force pulls the other guy into their sword. It's, it was a much better way of doing it. And, um, and, and it really, it really did make for a game that had its other uh, details been as well developed as its gameplay was probably could have been uh, a better game. The dark souls one. Um, and, uh, and, 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 just to, to try and sing as as many praises for Dark Souls Two as possible before we just shit on it. It's like, um, not only was was the gameplay more fun, but because the gameplay was more fun, it was infinitely more replayable than than the previous Souls games. It was it was much more attuned towards making builds and and exploring the the combat. And I have to say that I think that the reason that the rest of the the Souls games ended up going into the combat uh, centric direction that they did was because of dark souls 2 because they realized how um how much the game could be designed towards its combat and uh and and, and how fun that that could be and it resulted in dark souls 3 which was extremely fun um it, the funnest game in the series probably and 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 so so dark souls 2 i would say you know as much as it was a disappointment narratively and and in most of its its it's things. First of all, that game shouldn't have even existed uh, because its development was the biggest hell that I've ever heard of in my life. But it still managed to exist, and it managed to be fun, and it managed to do something better than the original games did. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not here to shit just on to just shit on Dark Souls 2. It's it's it is a very competent game that did a lot of things good, and I ha- I've got like 500 hours in it. So, mm. for all that said, it's it's a game worth playing. Now that being said. Hmm. yeah so
0: one of the things that i hear as a big criticism for dark souls 2 is the boss designs yeah yeah (laughs) so i feel like we can hit that and get that out of the way now let's Um, let's
1: talk about the the one thing that is so man i'm getting so mad (laughs) it's just, (laughs) just it just it just it fills me with with rage because i remember my first time playing through Let's talk about the stupidest thing in Dark Souls 2. In my opinion, the stupidest thing in Dark Souls 2. The reason why it's the stupidest thing in Dark Souls 2 is not because it's too important. It's a very petty thing. It's just that there was no reason for it to exist. Somebody decided that it needed to happen, and then they just did it, and it added nothing. And if anything, it, it just made it worse why did every boss cutscene start out with a blood vignette effect? (laughs) (laughs) Why? I was was playing Dark Souls 2 and I'm sitting there, and I saw the blood vignette effect, and I thought it was tied to, like, the last giant or something. Like, something about the last giant was, like, blood vignette or whatever. And then it happened with the pursuers, and I was like, okay, maybe these characters are related. But then it happened again when I was in the Lost Bastille, and I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> what what did this add to the cutscenes? The, the, the cut There were no cutscenes practically that okay, the, no, okay, that's a lie. The cutscenes that were in Dark Souls One that introduced bosses. They needed a blood vignette. <laughs> they needed somebody to to make a blood texture or procure a blood texture. And then create, and I'd like to thank Matthew Matosis for pointing this out to me because I I I forgot why I was so mad about this. (laughs) It was it was it was the fact that somebody during this hell of development the dark souls 2 was going through had to either make or procure a blood texture somebody had to animate the blood texture over the cutscenes, and somebody had to make a sound effect for the blood texture and all of this work was put into the fucking blood texture that was put on boss cutscenes when it could have been put on making the game good <laughs> it's, it's it's such a it's it's such a good example of what pisses me off about Dark Souls 2 so much. And granted, like, I'm pissed off about Dark Souls 2 because of, like, the way that I experience it in a vacuum. I understand now how terrible that the development is and that it wasn't really so much of the fault of the developers being bad. The, the just the, a bad idea of how to start the game. But my God, as, coming off of the game that changed my life, this was very, this made me very mad. And every time I saw that blood vignette, it just completely took me out of every single boss fight. And I think that's one of the the things that makes it so terrible is that it was a petty, small decision that they made. But the amount of damage that it did was so huge as to take you out of every single boss fight that you had. And the boss fights of Dark Souls were so important because they presented huge characters, huge players of the story. And then every single time you're just reminded that the developers didn't know what the fuck that they were doing.
2: What, you don't like big old rats?
1: (coughs) A big rat or a bunch of little
0: rats? Let's talk about the
1: the royal rat authority. (laughs) Let's do Sif, but have absolutely no emotional connection to the character whatsoever. (laughs) Basically make the boss fight useless and optional, but let's retread the Capra demon. But instead of two undead dogs, let's have four undead rats that inflict toxic and petrification, and then the entire, like, whether or not you survive the fight or not, is exactly like the Capra Demon, it's like, did you kill the rats? You win! <laughs> and what about Discount Quilog as well? Ah yeah, scorpion s Najka. <laughs> Literally, who can think about that fight at all, except Discount Quelog? Yeah. That's <laughs> all that there is to say about it, it's just like, oh look, it's Quelog, but not
0: yeah, and you can have her uh, her
1: husband help you kill her. I guess it's so disappointing how little there is to say about how terrible these bosses are too. It's like Scorpion oh, and We wanted to do <laughs> Qualog again. Yeah, clearly. I'm realizing <laughs> how many of these are like, "Oh, hey, look, old Dragon Slayer." Yeah. Hmm. Oh, hey, look. Uh, uh, shoot. Who was the last giant supposed to ape? I can't remember exactly. There. What was that? what's was that one? Oh no, no, no. Let's talk about let's. Let's talk about the Ruin Sentinels, all right? Oh. You like Ornstein and Smo? I bet you like Ornstein and Smo. <laughs> We're going to gank you with some big armored dudes. Just like Ornstein and Smo. That's interesting, right? 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 The same thing, right? Yeah, stand up on a platform and use a strike weapon. That's that's the Ruin <laughs> Sentinels. Yeah, uh, yeah it...
0: and then... Farming the rotten meant I fought him entirely too many
1: times, so that was fun. Uh, look, th- there's there's so little to say about the bosses, to be honest. They're they're just apes. All of them are apes. If if there's one thing that I could that I could really talk about that 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 really drives home how little they understood about what Dark Souls was. Hmm. Let's talk about the difference between the introduction sequence of Dark Souls 1 and the introduction sequence of Dark Souls 2. So in the introduction sequence of Dark Souls 1, you had a creation myth that in, that introduced all of the major players of the Dark Souls universe that led to you having an experience in the Undead Asylum where you you escape from your cell thanks to a man who saves you. You find the man who is dying. He tells you the prophecy of the Undead, uh, of the, ch- the Chosen Undead. And although you don't understand what's going on, you feel like honoring the uh, the the wish of the man who saved you from death. You end up in Firelink Shrine. The game starts from there. The beginning of Dark Souls 2 is you watch a cutscene that is a bunch of vague images of, I guess, some guy losing his memories and being lost in a forest, which already ruins something in that it pretty much tells you that in this role-playing game where you're supposed to be able to play whatever you want, you're probably a guy as... a uh, one of the images is of your wife and your kid. And I imagine uh, if we could guess anything from the story of Anne of Astora in Dark Souls 3, there aren't really lesbians in this universe. So you're probably a guy. And then um, you, you hear an old witch tell you that, you that you're being cursed with some kind of terrible curse and you're going to go to a place and you're not gonna know why you're doing it, which is like, okay, that makes me feel motivated. So then you jump into a giant whirlpool and then you end up in the the things betwixt, which which you can take off your clothes and clearly see that you were a guy before you you do your character creation, which is like, great, once again, taken out of the immersion. And then you go up to the uh, the the witches, the that are supposed to be old firekeepers, and they go, you're going to lose your souls, all of them, over and over. Ah, ha ha, 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 And they laugh and they scoff and they say, you are playing the video game and you're going <laughs> to experience the video game. You sure don't like dying, don't you? Mwah, ha, ha. Yes, you do. It's Dark Souls. That's what Dark Souls is about, right? And then you do the character select, and then you create your character, and then you probably go back outside and you find an ogre, and then the ogre kills you with a stupid long-range grab attack, and then an achievement pops up that says, this is Dark Souls. And your eyes at this point should have rolled over so hard (laughs) that they're bloodshot. You have a lot of feelings about the
0: beginning of this, don't you?
1: (laughs) The point of Dark Souls is not that you die. The point of Dark Souls is that challenge entails reward. And dying in Dark Souls is a part of the process of getting towards where you want to be, developing your skills as as a character in the game, but also as a player. Also, the, the story of Dark Souls, you're not supposed to be confused about. The lore of Dark Souls is intentionally convoluted, but the plot of Dark Souls has always been very clear. You always know what you're doing in Dark Souls. You get the creation myth. You know who all the players are. Oscar sends you on your way. You're fulfilling the the prophecy of the Chosen Undead. You ring the Bells of Awakening. Frant tells you to go uh, kill all the, the Lord Souls. You bring the Lord Souls back. You kill Gwyn. You know what you're supposed to be doing in Dark Souls 1. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing in Dark Souls 2 ever! Nothing ever feels like you're supposed to be doing it. You don't feel motivated to do anything. The only motivation you ever get is the old bitches that tell you, ha ha ha, you're going to die, lol. And then the, the Emerald Herald that's like, seek souls. bear, seek, seek lest souls. It's like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go seek souls. Why am I doing that? Because you should meet the king. Why? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why I'm doing anything in Dark Souls 2. It's just, it's just, you, i, I... The game is just laughing at me the whole time. The developers are just like, ha ha ha, you're going to have a hard time. And yeah, I sure am going to ha- have a hard time when your hitboxers is so broken that when I'm fighting the smelter demon and he does his stupid overhead attack, he hits me when I'm five feet away.
0: And every single time you die, your he- your max health drops a little bit. An extra reminder each and every time that you die, that you hey died. Guys.
1: Remember Demon Thold when we made it so that whenever you died, you had a big health decrease? And we actually developed that really properly. Well, in Dark Souls 2, we just kind of made it. So your health keeps decreasing. There's no reason for it. We just did it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not being... I've been, I've been very articulate the entire time that we've been doing this podcast. And I have completely devolved into absolute bad babby talk. And and I, I, I want to apologize to everyone in the future that ever watches this video that they're not getting as much of a... a a, a honest review of Dark Souls Two as it could be <laughs> because I just I just have so much anger.
0: I think
2: in my this heart. is an honest review of Dark Souls
1: Two. <laughs> I mean, okay, fair. <laughs> but...
0: The thing is, as well with it is, it's so
2: it's so evidently clear. You can feel that change in management in the game.
1: Yeah, and, from- and I I, mean, I really I really don't want to hate on those people too much. I don't want those developers yeah. because if, if I'm imagining, okay. I'm saying all of this right now to the developers of Dark Souls Two, because I think that's the most useful way to talk about anything. Is like talk about any subject as if you're telling it to the people who are who are the either the originers, the progenitors, or the fixers of the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: I'm imagining I'm talking to the developers of Dark Souls Two. I don't want to just be mad at them, but I, and I want to give them a lot of credit for what they did. But I, I also want them to understand that. And, and, and they probably do that, that what they did was I think they had so much respect for Miyazaki and they had so much, they desired so much to do something ambitious in the same vein that Miyazaki did that they tried too hard to do what he did. And I think that dark souls two really couldn't, it could have just not even existed in the same universe. They could have made their entirely own game with their entirely own narrative with no connection at all to the first game. I mean, who's to say that it needed to be anyways? But mm-hmm. it's like they decided that they wanted they they wanted to live up to Miyazaki's vision and they failed miserably. And I don't think that even if having one of them directing it it would have not failed because they just mm-hmm. they just didn't understand what made Dark Souls fun. They knew that that uh the the dying the the whole prepare to die all of that they knew that that was a big meme and so they, they they assumed that that was a huge part of the experience and so what they did with dark souls 2 and again i want to give a huge shout out to matthew Matos's uh dark souls 2 critique it's one of the best videos you could watch on on dark souls 2 uh and understanding why it's not as good as the other games um that he 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 shoot i lost my train of thought shoot uh what was i talking about i was talking about um criticism of dark souls 2 criticism of dark souls 2 oh yeah yeah so so what they what they didn't understand about dark souls is the dark souls is a game that mechanically is about being challenging and they took that and they thought that it was supposed to be a game about being difficult and that resulted in dark souls 2 being much more difficult than the other games some for, for genuine reasons and some for kind of bullshit reasons, like the aforementioned hitboxes that are absolutely atrocious in Dark Souls 2. Your, your body is like two times as fat as, it's, as it should be, and enemy attacks like reach way farther than they should be able to. Uh, I, I can't count how many times in Dark Souls 2 I got shot with an arrow. And i was like hmm i wonder why this arrow is floating next to my head <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous and um and it, it was very poorly designed and uh i think that the main reason why dark souls 2 was poorly designed was that focus on difficulty over uh, ch- uh, uh over a genuinely meaningful challenging experience and you can feel that not only in the design but in everything that they did around the game like for example the achievement that you get for dying called this is dark souls it's like they're spelling it out for you right there it's like that's what they think dark souls is is dying it's like no and they also if you might remember um, oh before i talk about that there's a uh, there's a, a statue in the middle of majula that tells you how many people have died worldwide it's like there's no there's no narrative or ludonarrative reason for that to exist it's kind of jarring actually and also they decided to put up a website that told you which bosses people died to the most it's like it was so 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 clear that the design philosophy for dark souls 2 was let's make a really really difficult game because that's probably what people like and then we can we can we can be lazy in in, in other areas that's uh, again a terrible and resentful and bitter way of putting it but Mm I think that's what happened. They were lazy in everything except trying to make the game difficult. And they sure made the game difficult, but it was not in a good way in a lot of cases. If they did make a mechanically fun game. They did not make necessarily the best PvE experience, though. Hmm.
0: You know, one of the comparisons that I want to make, because is there anything else you want to say about Dark Souls 2? Because this is going to transition to 3.
1: <sighs> um, yeah, so that's the problem, is that like there's a lot that I could say about Dark Souls 2 um but i think that um so much of what dark souls 2 does wrong is very petty it's it's sort of a it's sort of a mountain of of petty flaws and to go into it we we kind of just have to like spend forever going through every single area and every single thing and and demonstrating why it was a bad idea dark souls 2 is a story of a video game that didn't necessarily fail in its core concept it failed in every tiny decision that was made. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's difficult. You know, I, I really could go on forever about it, but so I, I would say we should, we should sum up why it failed. And I, I think you could, you could, you could say that it, it failed because of its, its lack of, uh, of understanding of the, the original series. But I think that it's lack of vision was something that existed from the beginning because of its, its multiple directors uh it's it's over ambition it's focus on trying to live up to miyazaki's vision rather than to create something of their own accord. basically, the reason it failed was because Miyazaki didn't make it, and the reason why Miyazaki not making it failed is because miyazaki was is one of the most revolutionary minds in gaming man It's like try making a a sequel to 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 the Mona Lisa. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe that's a bet. maybe that's a, i don't know necessarily if the mona lisa is particularly revolutionary but let's say uh try making a sequel to van gogh hmm. it's like how are you supposed to do that it's it's the expression of one person's experience with life so much of dark souls was built off of miyazaki's childhood it's like having miyazaki as a consultant for dark souls 2 was the first thing that made it that made sure that dark souls two was going to be a disappointing experience for souls fans Mm -hmm. because you can't experience dark souls as anything other than Miyazaki's vision. So it it being not Miyazaki's vision ruined the experience. And it was going to, no matter how good of a game that they made. And I think that, I think that it was a disaster from the beginning and that they never should have uh, decided to make dark souls two. When, uh, when, when Miyazaki wasn't on board for it, but Mm -hmm. all things considered, I think they made a fun game. They made a game that is worth playing. Um, I'm not sure if it's... We can talk about it when we get to the do we recommend it or not. But um, they made a good game. And I think that's laudable. And I think that it it does show a lot of talent on the the part of the, the developers who did put that game together because, my God, they salvaged that game. My God, they salvaged it and the fact that it was in a playable state at all is impressive but the fact that it's a good game that is actually fun to play is even more impressive so Mm -hmm. i I have to give credit where credit is due um good for them uh i wish that it had been a miyazaki game instead because that would have fixed it Mm
0: -hmm. uh i feel like this is a comparison i made before and it's a comparison that i'll make again i'm sure but this is episode three of retroactivity in episode one we talked about halo In Episode two, we talked about Metroid with Halo. We had Halo five that was the cause of some rage. And we determined that Halo five at its core is not a bad game. It's a very serviceable game with some good ideas. As far as gameplay is concerned, it's just a dog shit. Halo game. Yes. And with Metroid, we had the same exact experience with other M. It's actually nice. a solid game. It's, it's yeah. fun to play. It's just a dog shit Metroid game. And I yep. think that's what we have here yet again. We have a game that is good. It is fun to play, but it is shit at being
1: a dark souls game. It really is. It, and that's what makes it like, so it's so funny too, because it really is a good and fun game to play. But all that I have for it in my heart is just piss and vinegar. Is <laughs> yeah. And it, it's even, it's even the game that I spent the most time playing PvP on. I had by far the most fun playing PvP with Dark Souls 2. And I, I've had just about as much hours in it as I had, at least in the original Prepare to Die edition of, of Dark Souls. But I just can't get over how... oh We didn't even mention the bell gargoyles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you oh god, yeah, no, you, we can't. We cannot talk about it, because every single decision is so stupid. <laughs> it just deserves its own time to talk about you know Mm.
0: so with that in mind essential recommended
1: optional or (laughs) no if you played dark souls one and you enjoyed dark souls one and you want to play dark souls three as well essential really you wow yeah it's important. I, I I don't want to get too much into it.
2: Yeah.
1: But it's important. If you played Dark Souls 1 and you want more souls but you don't necessarily care too much to play the not as good Souls game optional. If you have never played Dark Souls before and you want to experience the whole series recommended. Interesting. Um, Interesting. I cannot not recommend Dark Souls 2 because here's the thing. Dark Souls is a game about uh, meaning, fundamentally, I think. And I myself am an appreciator of the meaning in suffering and the meaning in the negative aspects of life. The fact of the matter is, suffering being the endemic uh, uh, fundamental truth of reality means that The most meaningful things in the world are negative. And I think that it's just as important to seek out negative experiences that are meaningful as it is to seek out positive experiences that are meaningful. And I think we do that with art because that's what we do when, you know, nobody likes to be sad, but everybody likes to listen to sad music. What's up with that? Well, Mm -hmm. we get to experience these emotions that are so meaningful to us in a, in a context that doesn't actually endanger us. And that's beautiful. And that's why the art that makes us sad is oftentimes more meaningful to us than the art that gives us hope. Um, and so I would say, I would recommend Dark Souls 2 in, in, the, in the sense that it's an important game to play if you want to appreciate the Soul series so that you can appreciate how not to make the soul's experience mm. and what isn't good about it. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I would say. It, I, I could probably phrase it better, but you get my point.
2: Yeah. What about you, Ben? Yeah. I think, bearing in mind that I have I have not played two is the game in the entire series that I have the least experience with, and I haven't even had my own hands on. And I think from everything I've heard about the game, I would, I can only. It's tough. It sits very, very much on the the fence of optional and recommended. Because That's where I I'm at. feel like. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like it depends what you want from the series. If yes, I very much agree. It depends what you want from the series. If you want the entire experience, I'd say recommended. I think if you're looking to play the games because you want to play the Souls games and you like Souls like games in the way they play, but you're not too interested in diving deep headfirst into everything then optional
0: yeah i feel the same way uh if if you want a souls game optional if you just want a fun game recommended yeah that's where i'd say that's
1: fine man yeah i i i i lend a lot of um importance to the negative experiences Mm. of life and so i think that dark souls 2 for any uh, for anyone who wants to call themselves an appreciator of the souls series Will be essential. That's that's my only reasoning for it. it.
0: Very interesting. So Dark Souls 3. Dark Souls
1: 3. Wow, Dark Souls 3, man. Here's my
0: first question: Was it the game that people wanted after Dark Souls 2?
1: Yes and no. Because there is a lot of people that wanted a lot of different things out of the Souls series. And there is absolutely let me tell you something. There is a large group of people in the world, as much as we want to believe that there isn't, <laughs> who their favorite mm-hmm. game is Dark Souls 2, <laughs> and their least favorite game is Dark Souls 3. And let me tell you, I understand those people. I really do. because There's a lot of things about Dark Souls 2, and it's been a while, so I, I can't really remember a lot of the arguments, because it's not a, an opinion that I share, so it's an opinion that I kind of had to learn about. Mm. I don't remember a lot of the the arguments, but there are some good arguments for Dark Souls 2 uh, being a, a better experience for some people than Dark Souls Three, and um, I would say Dark Souls Three. Uh, if Dark Souls One was your favorite game, hell yes. If Dark Souls Two was your favorite game, anywhere between maybe and no. Mm. I would say that because because uh, Dark Souls Three was definitely a game for the people who played Dark Souls One, and um, wow, the the ending of the endings of both the vanilla. Dark Souls 3 and the Ring City DLC I didn't think you could contribute much to the Dark Souls series but after everything that we talked about about the original Dark Souls and how meaningful it was Dark Souls 3 fucking blew it out of the water oh my god
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, is, there is much to be said about the endings of Dark Souls 3 and much of it is the, uh, the what has been said about the endings of Dark Souls 1. But the way that it closes out the series...
2: <sighs> I think that it's incredibly interesting that the series ends in the exact way that the intro begins. Yes. The series ends with the the vision of nothingness, of darkness, and... Small dancing embers that are to kindle a flame, and that's where you end in the same space you began by causing the destruction and the complete emptiness that would leave those embers behind. That would lo and behold, the cycle you were aiming to break, only to begin a cycle you didn't know existed anew.
1: See that? That's I like that, and I like the endings of the vanilla of Dark Souls three um i'd say the boss fight of the ending of dark souls 3 is is to me a lot more uh, a potent of a, a an experience however to me the canonical ending of dark souls 3 is the ending of the ring city dlc and how it ties into the ashes of arydell to me that is one of the most be- the 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 area that you end up in in the end of the the ring city the great desert of ash is to me the most beautiful um way that they could have ended the series because Gwyn got exactly what he wanted the world linked the flame continuously over and over and over until it everything had been burned to an endless desert of ash and where are we now all that Gwyn wanted was to one defeat the dragons so that there could be an age of disparity And he wanted to remove the dark so that the Age of Disparity could continue. But what he ended up doing was creating the exact world that he defeated in the first place. A formless world of nothing.
0: Ironic, (sighs) isn't it? It's
1: fucking beautiful. And Mm. in that endless world of nothing, the final battle commences between the Unkindled Ash which is not the same as the Chosen Undead, the Unkindled Ash, who was never meant to be Cinder, and a slave knight that spent his life un- uh, uh, under someone else's rule and and without purpose of his own, simply trying to create uh, uh, something for someone else. It- We have to go into the blood of the Dark Soul. But before Mm -hmm. we do that, we need to go into the ending of Dark Souls 3.
0: Mm -hmm. We've talked so much Before we
1: do that... (laughs) Before
0: we skip to the end of the game, um, any standout
1: bosses? The Nameless King.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, that one. (laughs) One of the most standout bosses ever. Because... Not only was he one of the most difficult bosses that I think there had been in the Dark Souls uh, series up until that point, and by far one of the most epic and fun, we finally know who the Firstborn is. Mm. And man, the story behind the Firstborn is such a heart-wrenching story of family. I mean, to recount it, would I'm not even sure... Should we recount it? I mean, mean, if you like, we're here. For so long, the mystery of the firstborn son was pretty much up to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And then the Nameless King came along. The Nameless King, the firstborn son of Gwyn, who was exiled from the annals of history because of his allying with the dragons. Gwyn's Gwyn's worst enemy. The story of Gwyn and the Firstborn is like that of the story of Osiris and Set. Uh, an Egyptian tale that uh, I will recount. Mm. So Osiris was a, uh, a great king of Egypt. But he was old and blind. And his brother, Set, who was the pr- sort of a precursor idea to Satan, um, was able to convince him, or sorry, not... <laughs> confusing my stories um he waged war against osiris knowing that he was old and blind and could no longer run the kingdom properly he he raised an army of demons essentially and and waged war on the city and took it over and killed osiris and uh as a form of of punishment and torture ripped out his eyes and the son of osiris had to save the kingdom. Um, and, uh, he went to war with Seth and was able to, to win. And, and after he won, he visited his father's spirit. And what he could have done was he could have revived his father's spirit and let him run the kingdom once again. But he understood that it was the blindness of Osiris that, uh, that caused, um, the kingdom to fall in ruin and he knew that he himself i can't remember what his name was i'm sorry i can't remember but uh he knew that he himself had had some wisdom to save the kingdom because he obviously had saved the kingdom but he still needed the wisdom of old and that needed to not be forgotten and so what he did instead was he ripped out one of his own eyes and gave it to osiris and that he and osiris went and ruled the kingdom together both with the eye of 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 youth and the eye of wisdom the the story being about the natural tendency of order structures to fall apart and the necessity of new chaos the the potential of youth even to constantly update that structure and rebuild it into something greater and new and the consequences of what happens when you allow an old structure to 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 not update itself and to be to 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 Fester. fall into dilapidation, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the story of Gwyn and the Firstborn is the opposite story. It's the story of a son that tried to save his kingdom but failed, and had to watch it fall and burn. And he, we know that he literally watched it because when you go to Archdragon Peak, you can see Anne Orlando. When Nameless King was exiled with his Storm Drake, he set up camp somewhere that was where he could still see Orlando so that he could keep watch on the kingdom and his father and he got to watch as the entire kingdom fell to ruin as he tried desperately to reintroduce the old wisdom of the old world that that Gwyn had torn to 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 ruin um and it tried to 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 make him realize that and for that he was he was exiled and um and, and estranged from his family, and estranged from history. And probably one of the only men close, close to Gwyn that could have uh, uh, fixed the events that led to Dark Souls was, uh, was left alone on Archdragon Peak with his only battle compatriot. And eventually the Warriors of Sunlight that he, uh, that he championed um, came back to him in the end because you can find Ornstein's armor and his spear in Archdragon Peak, and Ornstein was the the captain of the first Knights of Gwyn, who were under the the Lord of Sunlight, or, or, sorry, who were part of the Warriors of Sunlight, whose captain was the Nameless King. And, in the end, with Ornstein having no purpose in life, he went to the only person to which he ever found purpose with, which was the Nameless King. And... There is also probably some, this isn't too story related, but there's also a probably a relation between Sen's Fortress and the Nameless King. It's possible that the Nameless King could be named Sen, because Sen's Fortress is a fortress that is that is full of uh, half-man, half-serpents that is connected directly to Anor Londo and is actually the place where you are taken to Anor Londo. Um, and Archdragon Peak is a a land of half-man, half-serpents uh that is owned by the firstborn. So it's they're... also
2: incredibly interesting to me the the story, the the story parallel between Osiris and his son and the uh the inevitable comparisons that you can make with Dark Souls 3 and the well the the God the words the their titles escaping me, the ones who watch over the bonfires. Um, the Lords of Cinder. Um no, the woman the, the, women, the, the fire yes, Watchers, there we wow. go the fire keepers who have their eyes torn from them and yes. a big part of Dark Souls 3 is when you find those eyes and
1: deciding whether you're going to give those eyes to the Fire Keeper or not. And, and there is also an optional boss in Dark Souls 3 named Osiris, the consumed king, who was led astray by the truth of the dragons and went crazy, and let his hmm. king fall into ruin.
0: So those then, eyes lead themselves yeah. to alternate endings, correct?
1: Yep. yep. Well,
2: yeah, so you, you make the decision. Basically, the eyes are what give the Firekeeper the vision of the coming of the next age. The gate, Age of Dark, yeah. The Age of Darkness. And you have the option of giving those eyes to the Firekeeper, or not giving those eyes <laughs> to the Firekeeper.
1: Yeah, and that's the, that's the story of, of Osiris is this, mm. the story of willful blindness, because mm. Osiris could have updated his society, but he, he allowed himself to be blind. And that's what the Fire Keepers that's what happened to the firekeepers in Dark Souls Three is that they decided that there's, there, like the truth of the coming age of dark is, is too potent, and we, the only way for us to, ke- to keep this uh, tradition alive is to become willfully blind which in the Dark Souls 3 universe was to literally cut out the eyes of the Fire Keepers, who were the sole uh, connection to the linking of the flame. Which is also interesting because once
2: you have made decisions about that, um, and you all the, the thrones are filled again by the Lords of Cinder, the illusion falls. And mm-hmm. you see what the, the true vision of where you've been the entire game. And you see the true visions of of the the kind of depravity of, of where you've been the well what is it? I suppose what you could call the hub of 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 Dark Souls three. Um and that's where I mean, it all, it's all—it's all ruined. <laughs> it's all, yeah. and you see the true devastation that's happened from cycle after cycle after cycle after cycle of this flame being rekindled, and you see the actual devastation that is wrought on the world, mm-hmm. which is part of the motivation that it gives you for for the option <coughs> of snuffing out the flame entirely.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's and and. Can we talk about the ending?
0: Yeah, so, uh, so you get to that point, which leads to an incredible boss fight, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And
1: go ahead. The Soul of Cinder.
0: <laughs>
1: the Soul of Cinder is... If, there, if anything could have rounded out the Soul series, the Soul of Cinder did it perfectly. Perfectly. The fact that it is the soul of everyone that has ever linked the fire leading to a fight with Gwyn once more in that same form was perfect. It was so emotionally impactful. It was so impressive. And the moment, and I know you guys know, Hmm. the moment that that music fucking mm. kicked in mm. and you saw that move set. Mm-hmm. Every time I, I, there it goes, I'm crying. I said <laughs> I might cry. <laughs> because what was so emotional about that the the fight with Gwyn was just the fact that you were putting down this icon of perseverance. Somebody that had had in the face of absolute meaninglessness and horror and terror and suffering sacrificed himself and continued to dedicate himself to what he believed in, which is one of the most laudable things you can, you can think of somebody who's dedicated to their morals. Nothing's more heart wrenching than somebody like that, you know, having, having what they do fail, but to know that Gwyn is still in there and still fighting for this, knowing everything that's happened, it doesn't make you hate him. It makes you feel so sorry that what he did didn't work out. Mm. It's fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you know, as much as that ending is beautiful, I would say that the ending of the 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 Ring City DLC and how it ties into the Ashes of Ariandel is by far the most beautiful thing about all of Dark Souls because if you remember this is a story about meaning. Mm-hmm. Now, in the end, you have Slave Night Gale. And we could go into Slave Night Gale's lore, but hmm. his, lore, his lore isn't that important. What is important is his niece, who okay. is attempting to paint a world um, for uh, uh, a cold, dark, and gentle place for people to, to escape into. Now, the paintings in Dark Souls 3, in, in the, the Ashes of Ariandel, are very, very important and I think they, they were super important in the painted world of Ariamis, too. Um, I'd, have to, I'd have to go back and, and, and re up on all of my, my feelings about this to, to go into it into more depth, but mm. I can go into it very simply. The paintings in Dark Souls are, like anything else, representational and imagistic. They're art. When Ariamis painted the original painted world, What did he paint it for? He painted it for the outcasts of the world to escape into. What do you think that's a metaphor for? (laughs) And so, when you're playing the Dark Souls three in the Ashes of Aryan dell Slave Knight Gale, who is one of the only people that still has purpose at the end of all the world, is trying to find the proper pigment to Mm. paint the world that his niece is trying to paint. What is the world that she's trying to paint? A cold, dark and gentle place so a place of refuge for the 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 lost and the um the the what was the word i used the um the uh, the left out i can't remember what what word i was using outcast um the outcasts yeah and what does he use as the pigment (laughs) of the dark as, as the pigment of the painting but the soul of humanity the core of what makes us human
2: the dark soul
1: he eats the the pygmies in a in a particularly brutal fashion because yeah. <laughs> he digests them to turn them into blood so that the blood can can be can manifest a physical paint for the the pigmenting of the 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 painting that his niece is going to make and that painting is Dark Souls, and the little girl is Hidetaka Miyazaki,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's it's fantastic. And and just as I know, that that entire side story, by the way, with with Gale, is like really heart wrenching as well, and is a yes. very emotional story, and is like another fantastic um, there like kind of story of dedication, and it's really. St- god it's sad (laughs) um of this this endless hunt for this this pigment and the realize and the realization of the pygmy's blood having run dry and the consuming and the driven to madness it's just it's such a powerful story as well and there's that line as well from the niece of i wonder when uncle gail will come home as Uh, well after you've just slaughtered him to get her the pigment and she doesn't and you've brought her what well, unbeknownst to her is
1: her uncle's blood as the pigment. And it's whew. I'll tell you, man, like Dark Souls 3's ending in the DLC's I think it I think it really did answer the question that both Demons and Dark Souls was trying to answer, which is how do you live in a world that from an objective point of view Is so bereft of meaning and and so encouraging of nihilism and cynicism and the answer is the answer that the theologians of ancient uh of ancient humans figured out they they found it in in religion they found it in stories in narratives in the 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 understanding of of the human animal as Something that existed in this supernatural, um, uh, uh, what's the right way to put it, metaphysical universe, but obviously we didn't have those those ways of expressing it. We didn't have the psychoanalysts. We didn't have the scientific method. We didn't have any of these ways of really contending with what it meant to be human, and so we had to do it through stories, and we did it with the stories of gods and men that 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 were that went through incredible. Uh, uh, uh tales of, of hardship and and triumph and we used that to in in a, in a human species that post evolution was completely uncivilized and still uh, uh contending with its own animalistic nature we used those stories to civilize ourselves and we owe everything that we have now to the fact that human beings were able to communicate with one another in in story narrative ways to help us understand what it is that we are and what it is that we're supposed to be doing it's stories that give us our meaning in life because and and that's that's why art is such an important thing it's the only thing that we have that when our own lives are confusing or meaningless we can fall into an art and that art will express things to us that Maybe we knew, but we didn't even know we know. Or, or maybe we never knew to begin with. And maybe might even be the answer to exactly what's ailing us. And what makes Dark Souls such an enriching experience is that its meaning is the fundamental meaning of life. And it gives something to everybody. And, and it's, it's a game beyond taste. Or at least it's a story beyond taste. And, and, and I think Dark Souls 3's ending really, really brought home that very hopeful and wholesome message. Of, I mean, what we've been experiencing the entire time. Art is the way that we orient ourselves. It's how we express the things that we feel, the the subjective experience that we can't really articulate all the time in in, in objective words. It's it's di- very difficult for for science to speak the language of God, and this is sort of the through line that that I think dark souls really can 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 really give people nowadays because i think i i'm a big believer in the idea of the death of god when Friedrich nietzsche announced that the the church had had basically died in in, in his own way be as a result of the scientific enlightenment because now that human beings could could figure out the world in an, in an objective rationalist way that was so reliable we lost our connection with something that was very, very ingrained in our cultures and societies ever since then. And since that happened, the, the church as an institution has fallen into fundamentalism and has fallen from grace as a, as something that held communities together. And granted, you know, there definitely needs to be some marriage between the, the theologians and the scientists um, and and some threat to the church needed to happen because we can't be fundamentalists. It's not the right way to think about the world. But I think that what, um, when Nietzsche announced that de- that God was dead and that we had killed him, that was what he was trying to say, is that he was trying to say that as, as we had now become rationally biased beings, rather than uh, I guess you could say subjectively minded biased beings, um, we had killed uh, God in society. And The relationship that we have with the very concept of God, it's it's one that's intensely personal. It's one that's spiritual, and that none of these things have to have any foot in objective reality. You can have these beliefs. You can believe in these stories. You can think of them as real, but you don't have to think of them as objectively real. But you have to understand that you're a human animal. And the human animal is is a social being. It's one of our most fundamental uh, uh, design is that we rely on each other. And the way that we perceive the world meaning-wise is by perceiving it as a story of people interacting with each other. That's why we came up with these stories of, of gods and men is that we came up with the ideals of what the best people could be and what the best actions would be. And then we duped them out intellectually basically. And there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that our society has, has lost that. And Dark Souls, as crazy as it is, might be one of the, the only creative pieces of media that I have ever seen, as far as post-20th century media goes, that attempts to make that bridge between the mythological and the rational dark souls is a game about the bleak objective realization of the meaninglessness of life and the entropy of the universe but it is also a game about how the human animal is designed to to confront these things and we confront it with meaning and perhaps our meaning is nothing but subjective and it's all a figment of our imagination but we don't have anything else better
2: I think I think it's very pertinent, and I think a very important thing. And I think the, the links are quite well to what you're saying about. Personally, for me, I've I've always been one like people have always coming back to the idea of of life and its meaning. Um, something that I think we've lost, at least from my personal view, as just a society, as a global society. Um, is this idea of the hearth. Um, the idea that um. Like you've said like the uh, the way that society um from the beginning from the dawn of of mankind and its evolution has evolved is by is by stories. everything mm-hmm. we do and the way we learn and the way we progress and the way that things evolve is by stories and I think the the idea of art being a storytelling medium is so inherently apparent every single time we've spoken about some kind of art form, whether it be in dark souls. Or, or, or otherwise, whether it be gaming as an art form, whether it be music as an art form, whether it be painting as an art form, whether it be, no matter what art form we talk about, it's about using that art and expressing and telling a story. and. It's something that is just even unintentionally, as we've been speaking today, we have been reiterating over and over and over is the importance of storytelling. And I think um, the idea of the hearth, and as a species, and as people, and as a society, the we are we are losing um, the idea of the hearth, um, just as a as a fundamental idea, as a as a core value of what we value as society. And it's and uh, there's there's lots of things that contribute to that and it's it's a debate for another day but it's a very a very telling thing and i think to perhaps even just to drive the metaphor home a little bit i love the the imagery that that dark souls has used not only in the way that it tells its story but the idea of society losing losing the hearth and try and Dark Souls being a bridge to reclaim the idea of sharing stories and bringing that together and what's the most iconic imagery that you can think of when you think of Dark Souls is a bonfire, yeah, which is the most traditional and core human way of how we would tell stories and how we would share experiences with each other was around the creation that we had made of fire and we would gather and we would share stories and we would grow as people and i think that that's it's another fantastic testament to the structure and the and the sheer the the genius that Miyazaki has put into the story of 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 not even not even just Dark Souls, but the the series as a whole, and the the thought and the love and the the intention behind everything that is done in this series, um, and it it only serves to highlight the highs of the series and the lows of things like two, like Dark Souls two, and the 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 things that were missing from that, and the things that were great in this, and it just it just drives home um the message so much clearer um and it makes you realize as well that um with that imagery um and with and with realizing that and seeing how connected everything is um the thought and love that has gone into dark souls as a series um Mm -hmm. and it It changes, in my opinion, at least the the learning that I have done about the series over the kind of short period of time that I've and the experience I've had with the series as a whole. Um, it really changes my perspective on how you look at. uh, I mean, a perspective I already kind of had, but was more driven home by this of um, gaming as an art form and gaming as um, a storytelling device and a way to change not even yourself but the people around you as well. I think. For me, I've always said, um, and something I've always held quite close to me is the idea that for me in life, the idea is people ask you what you want to do with your life, and what you want from your life. And I was like, and I've always said that at the end of my life, if I could go grow old and I could end my life saying that I had stories that I could share with my family, I want to be able to have stories. To tell people, I want to have experiences and emotions and people I've met and things that I've done that I would be able to gladly sit down and tell the people I love, whether that be a happy story, a sad story, an an anger fueled story, no matter what the nature of the story is, for stories to pass on to those that come after, because that is how fundamentally as a society we grow and we change and we become better whether that be from learning from mistakes and learning from the things that are wrong, or whether it be finding out what is great and what you've enjoyed and what you've loved and sharing, and it helps shape what is to come after you. And I think that maybe not a responsibility, but I think uh, we, we share uh, even uh, an, an animalistic urge to be able to um, progress. And I think that stories are at the heart of how, as a society and as a people, we progress, and our yes. tools is a perfect embodiment of that.
1: The human animal uh, cannot exist outside of a social network. It mm. is in not only our our uh, endeavor to develop ourselves that we find meaning, but the endeavor to develop ourselves gives us meaning because it makes us a stronger node in our network. Mm. And if if you are doing nothing but progressing in certain talents or skills in your life, but never applying them to anything that can help anyone but yourself, you'll not find meaning in them. You are a part of the world. And every time that you sit at a bonfire in Dark Souls, it doesn't matter that your experience is different than everybody else's. You still see every other player that's playing in the world. And that's because your experience is connected to theirs because all of our experiences are connected to each other. Everything that you do in your life is connected to every single other human being that will ever live. That's, that's a fundamental truth because you can, you can imagine it like this. You're one person away from about, let's say a thousand. So let's say there's a thousand people you'll directly influence in your life. If you're one person away from a thousand and they're one person away from a thousand, That puts you one person away, that puts you two people away from a million and three people away from a billion. It's not hard to do the math to understand how important every decision that you make actually is. And once you understand that and how much that you can actually contribute to other people, you understand your value and life doesn't feel so meaningless. Well, that was a conversation. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. i mean look we, we talked so much about like dark souls fundamentally that there is all that there is at the end of the day is the core fundamentals of it which is just yeah. an endless uh, treasure trove of, of meaningful uh thoughts and ideas because miyazaki man that guy just i mean we got to give it up to miyazaki the, yeah, guy, is, I mean, the guy is an absolute oh, oh, genius man. i can't I can't believe what he did to this, to for all of us. I mean, for everyone,
0: mm.
1: he gave us such a wonderful gift, and and something that I think that, I think that is very ahead of its time. In that, if it were released in a different, uh, in in a different, mm. I'll put it this way: I think in in the future, people are going to be looking back on Dark Souls and thinking wow, society is just like this now. (laughs) It could have been like this back then. Mm -hmm. But people just didn't know enough about it yet. I think it's one of those things. I think it's one of those transformative pieces of media that is, is going to continue to inspire people forever and is going to absolutely change the course of not just its own media and industry, but society. I think video games are beginning to enter the realm of high art. And and Dark Souls is one of the great works that is going to be lauded for the rest of history. Yeah. Can't argue that.
0: It's a great series. And yeah. and it even created like its own genre and it has its I wouldn't really call them spin-offs, but similar titles. Which is yeah. uh which is something we'll talk about another day. It, Speaking of talking it's... about stuff another day. <laughs>
1: woo! Yeah, it's oh, what boy. has it been. It's, it's been five, hours. five, five hours. hours. Yeah, it's yeah, no, I told you, man. This is what was gonna happen. And That's... and trust me, like if we if we actually wanted to get into Dark Souls, if we really wanted to get into Dark Souls, <laughs> we'd be here for a real long time.
0: Mm, yeah. Whew. Uh no. but yeah, for uh for
1: this, uh we will uh <clears throat> I, I would I also, before you close it out, I would like to apologize to everybody because we didn't actually get to talk too much about Dark Souls 2 or 3. Yep. Um, and the only reason being is probably just that we've gone on for too long. And yeah. uh, I, I'm pretty tired. I'm sure these guys are pretty tired. So, <laughs> can't it's wait to McDonald's closes hours. in
0: 45 minutes, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Of course. of course. That's what Jacob's worried about. Yep. Uh, this, has been, this has been wonderful. This has been yeah. a very wonderful Fantastic. retrospective on the Souls series. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that we have talked about something here that I don't think a lot of people talk about in a public space. And so as far as like contributing to the community of Dark Souls, I think this podcast has actually done a lot because mm. most people talk about the lore of Dark Souls and they talk about the mechanics of Dark Souls. Not a lot of people talk about what Dark Souls is about. And mm. it's a very difficult subject to get into because it's so serious and so deep. But I think we've been able to articulate it here, and yep. that's important. I think I we've agree. done something very good.
0: Yeah. I can't wait for this to take six hours to render. <coughs> <And laughs> <then get 40 laughs> on YouTube. It can be great. Yeah. <laughs> mm! Mm. But, uh, but yeah, we before we close it out, we do of course have to give Dark Souls Three the typical rating of essential, recommended, optional, or <laughs> no. And I'm pretty sure I know what Charles is going to say. So go ahead and say it. Yeah. Uh yeah, he can skip it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I'm kidding, Daddy, please. <laughs> please. No. Yeah, it's essential, I mean, man. For sure. Yeah. I mean, for of human course. beings.
2: That's, yeah. It's essential.
1: Yeah. Dark Souls is a essential uh uh, uh video game mm. if you have hands and are human.
0: <laughs> if you <laughs> have hands. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah but that was uh you do molasses you have a tiny babies that was nice it was very nice <laughs> that was that was fantastic well yeah. i'm going to uh quickly go to uh mcdonald's uh assuming that they're still open and that the internet didn't lie to me uh and get yeah. some food and uh yeah, yeah i'm cool. gonna
2: go have an existential crisis for half an hour <laughs>